Hey, how's it all? How's it going, everyone? Good. Good. Let me switch over to the nice one. All right. <sighs> we got a crew here. That's fantastic. We'll give it a couple of minutes and let everybody else just kind of filter in and uh, while we kind of wait, does anybody have any questions or anything Jesus-y they'd like to talk about before we get going? You are all muted right now. So if you want to talk, you have to unmute yourself briefly and then I'll, I'll shut you up again after we're all done. Did you see the ELCA tweet? I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> it, uh, they're uh, praising Mother God. Oh, well, that's paganism, and don't do that, folks. Um, right. Yeah, um, if our Lord gives us a set of pronouns to use, I, I think that we ought to respect that. Um, it is uh, actually the bare minimum standard that um, even even that that group would would ask of, of us. It's pretty bad that even the Pope said uh, that coronavirus was Mother Nature's respond to our abuse. So <clears throat> I don't want to get too far off base in this um, because you certainly can um, read way too far where the scriptures are silent. But um, the scriptures are clear that, that God chastises his people, um, that, that God actually encourages us to learn. And some of that actually comes through, uh, through discipline. It's, it's how we, we teach our kids. Um, if you just let your kids do anything they want all the time, uh, as it turns out, they, they turn into to narcissists um, and, and dangerous ones as they get older. Um, and so one of the things that our Lord might have done through this is taught us to appreciate our congregation. And here I'll call this a, a right discipline. Um, here I'll call this a good chastisement. I don't know that, that all of this happens simply to get people to go to church, and I wouldn't say that. But one of the things that's worked in it, I, I have no problem saying that. Um, and in the same way, um, there, there are other things that our Lord can, can certainly do through this. So I, I think that it's, it's a good gift of God to, to recognize um, in faith that he works all things for good of those who love him, uh, even things sometimes that hurt. Uh, it's like shots or vegetables, um, things that, that nobody actually likes, but um, sometimes we tell ourselves are important. All right. Any question, though, who his God is when he says it that way, though? Well, all I can go on is, is what he confesses, and that's, that's an important thing to recognize, too. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, really easy to, to, well, break the Eighth Commandment and read the worst in this, but... but um, I certainly have a whole lot of disagreement with the Pope, but at the same time, um, he he confesses the triune God. So I, I'm going to have to stick with that. Um, there, there's plenty to talk with him about already before we we get into that. You know what I mean? All right. So I'm going to pull up the large catechism and uh, pull us back to where we were. Hopefully this should be showing up for all of you on the screen share right about now. 
14. Yes, ma'am. Here we go. All right, so uh, we're gonna go ahead and do this thing. Um, I'm gonna mute the rest of you. Feel free to unmute yourself at any time. Um, but at this point, uh, it, it just sort of helps us keep everybody um, off the microphone so that it's easier to understand. If you do have a question, feel free to just unmute yourself and ask right in the middle of it. Here we go, paragraph 14. And if this were not sufficient to admonish us to read the Catechism daily, yet we should feel sufficiently constrained by the command of God alone, who solemnly enjoys, or enjoins in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we should always meditate upon his precepts, sitting, walking, standing, lying down, and rising, and have them before our eyes and in our hands as a constant marking sign. Doubtless, he did not so solemnly require and enjoin this without a purpose, but because he knows our danger and need, as well as the constant and furious assaults and temptations of devils, he wishes to warn, equip, and preserve us against them, as with good armor against their fiery darts, and with good medicine against their evil infection and suggestion. All right, so uh, we talked a little bit about this last time, uh, when our, our Lord would have us meditate. Um, Christians do it differently than the rest of the world. So the rest of the world, all the other pagan religions, they would have you meditate inward on your own heart. They would have you look inward for, for some sort of inner peace. Our Lord says, look outside of yourself. Inside of yourself, that's half the problem. Inside of yourself, that's where sin is. Jesus says out of the heart comes all sorts of awful stuff. Don't think more about that. Instead, focus on me. And so when we do this, the catechism is actually a tool and it is a meditative tool that, that our Lord has given our church. Um, when we go through the questions and answers of the small catechism, it is a chance to daily reflect not only upon God's law, but also God's gospel. Um, here we, we talk about his precepts, um, but, but also um, about his promises. Uh, when we talk about uh, who our God is, when we pray about who our God is, when, 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 we, when we meditate about who our God is based on the outward promises of our Lord, um, it, it gets a whole lot easier to start seeing him as a good gift giver. Um, it gets a whole lot easier to start seeing him as somebody who's actually working goodness and mercy, even in a world that is this dark. And that's an important thing because the world the world's dark like there, there's no getting away from it and there's no hiding from it uh it doesn't do us any real good to do that um but instead he, he would have us again focus on his promises because there there there's a whole lot of wonderful things to talk about any questions all right so we recognize then um can you guys still see the screen all right is it still showing up the right way yes Super. Um, that, that when we talk about uh, why we would study the, the catechism, why we would meditate upon God's precepts, why we would pray, um, all of these things are, are being put together in light of a larger promise, namely, uh, there we go, that uh, we have enemies. Uh, who who uh, are described as our enemies in, in the catechism uh, right here at the end of uh, paragraph uh, 14. Here it says we have the devil, we have the world, we have our own sinful flesh. These are, are the, those old familiar things to us. Um, we, we have all kinds of problems. And our Lord actually wants to, to help us deal with them. And one of the ways that he helps us deal with them is not to keep us apart from problems, but to bear us through them. And this is how he does it. So uh, again, the catechism is, as, as he lays it out, is um, not set against the scriptures, but Luther actually talks about them as if, um, as if they go hand in hand. Because the catechism is 
the scriptures. The catechism is a summary of the Bible. The catechism is the doctrine breathed out and explained. Um, and so in the same way, like, are you supposed to set the sermon against the word of God? I would hope not. Like, if you have to set the sermon against God's word, it's obviously not a sermon. It's a, it's a bad thing at that point. I mean, in the same way, a catechism um, that, that, that our, our church has been given to study, it's a, it's a reflection upon God's word. It's a chance to, to dive deeper into God's word, to better understand what it is that's being promised to you in the scriptures. And so here, um, we're not setting one against the other, and we're not saying they're even equal. We're saying that the catechism is a teaching of the scripture, and because it's true, it's worth studying. If the catechism disagreed with the Bible, go with the Bible. Any questions? All right, 15. What mad senseless fools we are, that while we ever must live and dwell among such mighty enemies as the devils are, we nevertheless despise our weapons and defense and are too lazy to look or think of them. This, I think, um, might actually be one of the devil's greatest weapons. Um, he, he, I don't think, attacks us with sword nearly as often as he just gives us too much food when we pass out after Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I, I think more often than not, the devil would have us fall asleep rather than just try and outwardly war against us. Because if somebody comes to war, comes at you to war, you look for a sword and a shield. You look for the catechism. If somebody gives you everything that you want, you start to let some stuff go. The devil uh, lulls us through sloth, through, through laziness, through, through hopelessness, um, and, and through a, a lack of zeal. Um, and, and here, I, I think this might be society's uh, devil. Uh, I, I think this must be the, the, the tool that our devil has used in the last uh, generation or two. Um, it, it's just, quite frankly, he's given us success. He's given us happiness. Um, so much so that it's actually gone hand in hand with our definition of God. I mean, if you were go out into the world today and ask, how many people would tell you, God just wants me to be happy? Like, if you honestly believe God just wants you to be happy, um, well, look to the Ten Commandments. And ask yourself, how many of those things that you really find happiness in doing, he calls wrong? Or if you just want to be a little bit more crass, um, I have a problem with anybody who says God just wants me to be happy, but hasn't just jumped right to heroin abuse. Because like, if it's really just this short-term emotion that you're looking for, um, why not just lean into the destruction of it? Just, just lean right into it. Um, if, if instead there's something more than your immediate pleasure, recognize then um, vegetables are, are not vegetables are not are, are not yummy but they're but they're good for you exercise does not feel good while you're doing it there's a larger thing the study of god's word understand that that um sacrifice chiefly is an act of love so if i were to say i i love my wife because she makes me happy when i look at her that's a different thing entirely than saying i love my wife so i will sacrifice for her as the bridegroom sacrificed himself for the bride who is christ and our church because I might look at my wife someday and not feel so happy, but that just means I'm a sinner. Does that mean I shouldn't love her anymore? Or does that mean that I should sacrifice for her? Our Lord's very clear here. My life would be better if I didn't just say, what makes me happy in just this moment? Here, uh, Luther would warn us against a problem that, that we're seeing today. Um, we have mighty enemies all around us, but we despise our weapons and our defense, namely the catechism, God's own word, because we're lazy because we'd rather chase after other things. We should be careful about that. Any questions or comments before we move on to paragraph 16? 
Can you hear me? Yeah. What's up, Terry? Um, I read this book and I think it had, what the guy was talking about has to do with this. It was um, three Latin words that was like, it was eratio, meditatio, and then, meditatio. and and so I think, isn't that what, is that what he's talking about here? Like it. It's part of it. Yeah. It's easy to remember that to like say the word, meditate on it. And then when temptation comes, is it, is that what it is? Yeah, so um, oratio, meditatio, tentatio um, are, are essentially um, study, prayer, and suffering. Um, suffering is kind of a rougher translation of the last word, but Luther talked about it. He said there are three things that make a theologian. To actually study God's word, to actually meditate on God's word, pray about God's word, and also to, to live as if it matters, to suffer. Um, and so one of the things then that our Lord would do was that, is that he would show us that this stuff actually matters. Um, and so here, um, that the suffering is a mark of the church because Christ bears the cross. But um, more so, um, the suffering wakes you up to the fact that you actually need help. Um, the, the tentatio, it's, it's sort of a law that is preached right to your body. And so um, I can preach to you uh, the law in God's word, and I can say, thou shalt not murder. And you can say, yeah, okay, pastor, whatever. But if somebody were to break that commandment against you and hurt or harm you in your body, all of a sudden you understand why thou shalt not murder. That this suffering produces a, a physical awareness that you need help. It, it ties in the mind and the spirit to the body. And so that's the meditatio oratio tentatio. It's mind, spirit, body. Um, and, and it's a Greek reflection. Uh, it's, a, it's an um, Aristotelian reflection, but it's true. Um, you, you have a mind, you have a body. Uh, and you have a soul, but these three are not independent of one another. They're connected. Um, and so when your mind is put a place, your body follows. And when your body's put a place, your mind follows. That's actually one of the reasons that we, we have piety in church. We talked about this a little bit when we were actually in the sanctuary. And so we would say like, we would make the sign of the cross um, because uh, what, what we're doing with our, with our body actually does have a, uh, some significant bearing on where our mind is. Um, so that when we bow, something happens. Um, and our soul in the same way. Luther talks about oratio, meditatio, and tentatio, um, and other people have picked it up and ran with it too, um, especially modern theologians. It had a big resurgence uh, maybe about a generation ago. Um, pick this up and, and recognize then that um, even in affliction, you're actually driven closer to Jesus, not farther from him. And it's a wonderful thing then that our Lord would actually call suffering a blessing. Um, he, he says it, blessed are you when others hate you and revile you and utter all kinds of falsehood against you on my account. Um, he, he says, you're going to hurt and I will use your hurt for good. So, so is that kind of where you're going after it? Yeah. And like, this was John Kleinig and he oh, was yeah. saying like the, um, the temptation or the distress drives you back to the word to where you're reading it and then you're meditating on it. And then the suffering comes or temptation comes. And it's just like a circle of, of life, I guess. Yeah. It, it is the circle of life. Yeah, I, I know that I'm not, I was going to let it go. Um, but so this is Grace Upon Grace, right? Um, really, yeah. really good book. Um, I would recommend it to any of you. Uh, John Kleinig's Grace Upon Grace. Um, but you're right, it, it does. And also, um, to grab hold of the circle imagery, you're, you're completely right. He also would, would kind of point out that um, it, it is the oratio and meditatio that teach you how to deal with the tentatio. It, it's the study and prayer that teach you how to handle suffering. And so you would see then, um, honestly, like I would see, uh, one of the things I've noticed as a pastor is that all of you have more faith in me. And I see it because I'll come into hospital rooms and you're just completely unafraid 
in, in face of all sorts of awful evils. And I'm terrified for you. And I'm freaking out. And you guys are just super chill about the whole thing because you're like, God's got this. And I'm like, okay, um, we should pray now because I know you seem pretty sure about it, but I need some help now. Um, but it's, it's this prayer though, and this meditation upon God's word that helps us deal with the temptation. And it's the temptation that drive us back to God's word all over again. And so these three things that then God would use to keep us in true faith. Yeah, absolutely. Sexton just reminded me of that. Yeah, it's completely. That's very good. Anybody else? All right, we're at 16. Here we go. And what else are such supercilious, presumptuous saints who are unwilling to read and study the catechism daily doing than esteeming themselves much more learned than God himself with all the saints, angels, patriarchs, prophets, apostles, and all Christians? For inasmuch as God himself is not ashamed to teach these things daily as knowing nothing better to teach and always keeps teaching the same thing and does not take up anything new or different and all the saints know nothing better or different than to learn and cannot finish learning this, are we not the finest of all fellows to imagine if we have once read it or heard it, that we know it all and have no further need to learn and read, but can finish learning in an hour what God himself cannot finish teaching, although he is engaged in teaching it from the beginning to the end of the world. And all the prophets together with all the saints have been occupied with learning it and have ever remained pupils and much continue to be such. In other words, the Bible has one message over and over and over again. The saints of old have cried out one message over and over and over again. Stop looking for new stuff. Stop. There's nothing new under the sun. So you'll, you'll think you'll found something new and it's just some old sin or some old heresy just rebranded. But um, we, we preach the gospel unending. We, we preach Christ and him crucified as was proclaimed in the beginning, as will be proclaimed until the end. This is who we are. This is what we are. Um, if God is not ashamed to have you have just this one book in the scriptures, why are you so ashamed that you read the whole thing and, you're not, you, you, you think you need more. If this is what God wanted you to have and has proclaimed throughout all of time and history, who are you to say you need more? You're not done learning because again, just sort of actually what Terry brought up, as you experience the tentatio in your life, that the trials in your life, you'll see the scriptures in a new light. As you're moved from one vocation to the next, you'll see the scriptures in a new light. I understood the Bible better after I had kids because when we start to talk about God as a father, I actually understood a little bit better that, that when he calls us children, it wasn't always a compliment. I, I understand some of these things that are, are playing themselves out in time and space because I, I see them. Um, I, I preached uh, until I got to, to San Antonio, a one-year lectionary. Like I said, I would come back to the same text every single year, and I would always have learned something because life keeps teaching us. Um, and, and so inside of this thing then, uh, we have a wonderful gift that is simply the gospel doesn't wear out. The gospel doesn't sort of become the precursor to something else. And that's a gift because after all, the gospel is the forgiveness of your sins. The gospel is you are justified before the Lord for what Christ has done for you is enough. Do you actually want to move on to, from that into something else? Like what, what, what is there to step onto from this except for yourself? And that's the downward step that, that Christianity today would often step on. That like, all right, so we heard Jesus for our sins, but like, now what? And then we always end up on works and it never goes well. Rather fall back on the gospel over and over again. Um, this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Are you kind of with me? Questions or comments? All right. 
Um, paragraph 17. Let's move this up. For it needs must be that whoever knows the Ten Commandments perfectly must know all the scriptures, so that in all affairs and cases he can advise, help, comfort, judge, and decide both spiritual and temporal matters, and is qualified to sit in judgment upon all doctrines, estates, spirits, laws, and whatever else is in the world. And what indeed is the entire Psalter but the thoughts and exercises of the first commandment? That was huge. Did you did you see the, the bomb that, that Luther dropped in this? It's right here. So we say, as, as Lutherans, um, there are two great doctrines, right? There is the, the law and the, and the gospel. I can read some of your lips. Good job. Um, we have the, the law and the gospel. Luther actually confesses right here, whoever knows the Ten Commandments knows the whole thing. And this is something they actually understood in the Old Testament, and, and we sort of cast it aside. And we said, so the, the Ten Commandments is only law. There is no gospel at all in the law. There is no gospel at all in the Ten Commandments. So Luther says the Psalms are a meditation on the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me just start with this. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What if this just means God actually wants to be your God? Like God insists upon being God to you. That's gospel. The Ten Commandments are a reflection of who God is, every bit as much as they are a demand on us. The Ten Commandments are both law and gospel. They are the Torah. Um, when we hear the word law in the Old Testament, the word Torah, or even the Torah, which, which you know to be the first five books of the Old Testament, um, the word Torah doesn't just mean rules. It is the revelation of God. God reveals himself in his precepts, in his commandments. If you actually understand perfectly the Ten Commandments, our problem is that we don't understand perfectly the Ten Commandments. Um, our problem is that when we see the Ten Commandments, we look first to ourselves rather than first to our God. So if I take, uh, you shall have no other gods, and I start to act that out in myself, what's my problem? You guys are all very nice for not calling me a sinner. I'm a sinner. The problem is when I try and act out the first commandment or demonstrate or even just to understand it based on myself, the only thing that I can kind of come up with is the stuff that I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I find all my idols. I find all the things that are my gods, the things that I do fear, love, and trust in. But here's the problem. The law is not perfectly demonstrated in me. The law is perfectly demonstrated in he who fulfilled it, namely Jesus. Look to Jesus and you'll understand what the first commandment is. This is the good shepherd who actually wants to go out and get the lost sheep. What if God actually wants to be God to you? What if he is so insistent upon it that he won't let you chase after anything else? And what if in all of the pain and misery and madness and frustrations of this world as it is when we live in a world that is full of sin and decay and death and the devil, our Lord would teach us to pray in the middle of it and teach us to find help only in him in the middle of it. That's the Psalter. The Psalms are prayers. They're hymns. They're actually, they were sung hymns. They were, they were sung prayers, excuse me. Because um, the, the Psalms, the, the, they're actually composed musically. Um, we don't always necessarily know the tones, but we actually have some, some of the chant tones that we use are that old. They're Old Testament chant tones that, that have been preserved for us, um, through both Old and Intertestamental and even through the New Testament times because we sing. Um, the way that our Lord would teach us to pray is to teach us about what kind of God we have, a God who actually wants to be our God. So when we talk about the law and the gospel, these are two different doctrines. The law is one thing and the gospel is another. But we get into this mess when we want to make these really clean, clear cuts when it is the word of God. In other words, I, I can say to you, for example, um, take, eat, this is the body of Christ. 
And is that law or gospel? Or yes. Yes. Because he actually does command you. But he's giving you a gift in that. Like, what do you have to do but chew? <laughs> I mean, um, and for that matter, um, if, if, for example, it's been taken from you from some awful pandemic for some period of time, it's a gift. But if I were to say to you, for example, in a sermon, do you not know that if you've eaten and drank the body and blood of Jesus, you can be certain of your salvation and you've intentionally avoided communion for the last 40 years, that might not necessarily sound like gospel. That might sound like law. When we have the law and the gospel, these things work hand in hand to point us to God and his mercy and his gifts. The law's job is to point you to Jesus. It is a reflection of God. The gospel's job is to deliver Jesus to you. It is to actually paint what the law would have it be. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the gift given in the gospel. Jesus is everything. The law demands from you because you're not Jesus. But the law is fulfilled in Jesus so that he can give to you gifts in the gospel. Are you kind of with me here? That was deep. So if you have questions, don't feel bad about voicing them. Because I guarantee you, if you have a question, there's at least somebody else in here that does. And maybe just can't work Zoom. Um, because this is, this is a new technology for us. All right, let's keep going then. Paragraph uh, 18. Now, I know of a truth that such lazy paunches and presumptuous spirits do not understand a single psalm, much less the entire Holy Scriptures, and yet they pretend to know and despise the catechism, which is a companion brief summary of all the Holy Scriptures. So again, here Luther actually explains what it is he's doing with the catechism. He's summarizing the Scriptures. But what he's saying is, the Pharisees, they, they knew this Psalter, but they didn't understand who they were singing to. The Pharisees knew the Psalter, which is why when Jesus prayed the 22nd Psalm on the cross, it had to have been a slap in the face. Because what right before them was the thing that it was promising all along. Right before them was the fulfillment of the, the, the hymn that, 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 they had taught, uh, that they had been taught in the, in the temple all those years. Um, there, there are people who are convinced they understand the Bible because they read the thing once through. There are people who are convinced they understand the Bible because it is their self-help book. It is their basic instructions before leaving earth, which, by the way, is not what the Bible is. Basic instructions before leaving earth, that's law. But there's no gospel in that. There's none. The Bible is a revelation of the character of God. It is not a description of, of what you're supposed to do before you die. It, it's a promise of what God has done for you so that you won't stay dead. Are you kind of with me? Questions, comments? All right, I'm going to pick up at 19. Remember, if you have a question, just unmute yourself and interrupt me. Um, I like being interrupted because that means we get to talk about something cool. Um, I'm not joking. All right, paragraph 19. Therefore, I again implore all Christians, especially pastors and preachers, not to be doctors too soon and imagine that they know everything, for imagination and cloth unshrunk and false weights fall far short of the measure, but that they daily exercise themselves well in these studies and constantly treat them. Moreover, that they guard with all care and diligence against the poisonous infection of such security and vain imagination, but steadily keep on reading, teaching, learning, 
pondering and meditating, and do not cease until they have made a test and are sure they have taught the devil to death and have become more learned than God himself and all his saints. So in other words, that's not going to happen. Um, I hope to God that I'll be called a catechism preacher. I don't want to be known as anything else. And this is why. Like, this is who we all are. We're all catechism students. Um, this is something that, that we never move past. And so when I teach youth group, I teach them the catechism. And when I get to teach you the large catechism, I'm thrilled because I love this book. Um, it, this, it's just, all I've got here are, are some, this is like a torn up old copy that I made some notes on for the first time I did a Bible study on it. And it's mostly just underlines. Uh, but when I was first shown this book, my eyes were opened and, and I fell in love with it. Um, this is still my favorite book of the confessions, the, the large catechism. Um, and, and it's a book that's worth returning to along with the small catechism, because as it turns out, um, it, it's, it's not something that we need to set aside. Uh, it, it is again, just simply put the Bible played out for us over and over again. You guys with me? Yes. Cool. 20. If they manifest such diligence, then I will promise them and they shall also perceive what fruit they will obtain, what excellent men God will make of them, so that in due time they themselves will acknowledge that the longer and the more they study the catechism, the less they know of it and the more they find yet to learn. Then, and only as hungry and thirsty ones, will they truly relish what now they cannot endure because of the great abundance and satiety. To this end, may God grant us grace. Amen. The more we study it, the less we know of it. Um, this is actually how studying the Bible works. Like, honestly, the, the more you, you fall back on these texts, the more you start to see inside of it. And the more you start to see inside of it, the more questions that pop up. And the more questions that pop up, the more you get to study the scriptures. It's this great, great gift. Um, it, it's one of the, the clearest ways that, that Christians can understand that the word of God is God-given um, and not of men, but will never quite be able to explain it to the world because they haven't studied it. But just simply in the fact that this book goes so deep, that, that we can fall back on this, these simple teachings and find more and more in them. It, it, it's a gift that, that has to be given something beyond that of men. Questions? All right, so I'm gonna skip this shorter preface. You can read it on your own if you like, but most of it is actually just laying out some of the things that he's gonna talk about. Um, he also in encourages fathers to teach their children, which is a really important thing um, that we'll spend a little bit of time talking about while I scroll. Um, so uh, the catechism um, was given to preachers and to fathers, to heads of household. Um, one of the things I can tell you is it's not my job to teach your kids this faith. It's my job to help you do it. It's your job because honestly, they'll listen to you first and they'll listen to you longer. I get an hour a week with them, maybe sometimes two. You get all the rest. If you make it just my job, what you demonstrate to them in what you're doing is simply that this isn't important. If this is your book, I will help you teach it, and I will teach you things to teach them. But ultimately, um, what a wonderful thing when parents actually teach this to their own kids. Uh, because here, here we have something that uh, it, it, it is sustained. All right, so I'm going to jump into the first commandment. You guys ready? Let's do it. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That is, thou shalt have and worship me alone as thy God. 
uh, the worship. These, these brackets are put in in Latin. So the, the catechism was, was written in German. Um, as it was uh, translated and, and shared around, eventually uh, there was a Latin translation because Latin was a fancy language. And so your book wasn't legit until it was Latin. Uh, German was a common slum language. And, and so Luther wrote a lot in German um, because he wanted people to read it. He actually wanted normal people to hear the gospel. The, the big frustration that he had in, in the monastery uh, was quite frankly just that the simple truths of God, the comfort of the scriptures were hidden from folks. And so Luther wrote in German a lot. Latin came along later um, and, and he wrote in it uh, when he had to. Um, and he was quite adept at both. Uh, but um, Luther was, was known for, for writing chiefly in German. Um, in, in fact, uh, so one of my favorite uh, Luther quotes is actually his death note. Um, I, I told you about uh, Luther's uh, note they found in his pocket before, right? We are beggars, this is true is what they found scribbled up in his, his, uh, his pocket when, when he died. I've got it hung up here. I wonder if I can get it right there. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, but when he wrote it, he wrote it like this. Uh, Wirsen Bettler, Hawkes Ferrum. Wirsen Bettler uh, was German. We are beggars. Hawkes Ferrum. It's Latin. This is true. Um, so, so he wrote, even, even on his dying day, um, we are beggars in German. Like Everybody's hope is, is only in God. Hocus verum was just this last little Latin phrase, the church stands in on this truth. Um, but, but when you see these brackets, uh, that, that's why. Uh, it's, it's a Latin insertion. But this worship part is an important part of this. Um, for, for what is it to worship? Do you guys know this? It's actually an economic term. To worship something is simply to ascribe to it value. It's to say this is precious. And so there are lots of things that, that we worship. Um, and that's the problem is, is um, like, if, if you're going to be really, really honest with me about your idols, or I would be really, really honest with you about mine, um, my most precious things, my most valuable things, they're my family. They're right here. Here's my idols. That's good. Our Lord says, thou shalt ascribe value chiefly from and to me. What is the force of this? And how is it to be understood? What does it mean to have a God or what is God? Answer. A God means that from which we are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress. So to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in him from the whole heart. As I have often said, from the confidence and faith of the heart alone, make God both, or excuse me, make both God and idol. Um, I, 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 uh, the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. This is a, a really deep saying that, that sort of gets covered over. Um, but just from right here, our idols aren't carved out of wood. Our idols um, usually don't involve like witchcraft or weird pagan dances or anything like that. Um, our idols are found inside of our heart. Our idols are what happens when we, we ask, what's God like? And then we look to our heart for the answer instead of the scriptures. Our idols are, are found when we look around the world and we say, what would uh, this world be worthless without? And so for me, I showed you mine, my family right there. Um, I ascribe all good to them. I find all comfort in them. It's not great. Because here's the thing, my family is a good gift from God. God gave them to me that I would find joy in them. God gave them to me that I would serve them and love them. God gave them to me and called them good. 
but what's the problem? They can't save me. In fact, all they really tend to do is highlight my problems because I want to be such a good husband and I want to be such a good father, but I'm missing bedtime right now. <laughs> you see, the more I, I, I adore, the more I try and worship them by the law, the more I find my own ineptitude, the more I find my own weakness, the more I find a, a tragedy. That, that um, to, to quote the, uh, the, the poet and philosopher, um, Biggie Smalls, more money, more problems. Um, it's uh, it's this great thing that that um, all of our idols are out of our own heart, and so out of our our heart comes a religion of the law. And so, if if money really is your 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 god, there's never enough money. And in fact, the more money you have, the more issues that tend to come up around it. If my family really is my idol, the problem is all I have is is this this guilt for not being enough to them and for them. It's not that God doesn't want you to have money. He gave it to you and he called it good. It's not that God doesn't want you to have family. He gave it to you and called it good. The problem comes from this confidence and faith of the heart. So if God would speak to you from his word, that he, he is your shelter. He is your hope. He is the good gift giver who gave you all those things in the first place. And by the Holy Spirit, your heart would hear this. Well, then all of a sudden, my family takes on a whole different meaning to me. My family is one of the ways that God wants to give me comfort. My family is one of the ways that God actually wants to, to have me show my love to not only him, but chiefly to him by through my family, loving them. Um, if uh, you would see then that, that God has actually given you your daily bread, you wouldn't be so afraid of being without it because, well, it came from a God who wanted you to have it and has promised to take care of you. And so even if he has to do it a way that you don't like, he'll give you more. So relax. From the heart, from 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 this, uh, you have a God. A God is nothing else than to trust and believe uh, that, that all good come from him alone. A God is that from which we expect all good and that which we take refuge in distress. So God is the good gift giver. You guys with me? Cool. If God is the good gift giver, already we're in gospel, not just law. We expect good. And we who know the law Know that we don't expect it because we earned it. You with me? Questions or comments? All right, let's pick it up at three. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that, that money can be an issue on both sides. Because <clears throat> if, you, if, you're, if you're broke and you don't have enough, and it's making the decision whether you buy bread or milk, it's become your God. The same as having too much. Absolutely. All right, paragraph three. If your faith and trust be right, then you're God also true. And on the other hand, if your trust be false and wrong, then you have not the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. That now I say, upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly your God. Which is something that we should get comfortable in saying, everybody believes in something. Everybody has faith. Atheists have faith. Everybody has trust in something. So the thing is, God wants you to trust in him. God actually wants your faith to be, along, to, to be in him so that you can look to him for all good. Because everybody's putting their heart, their trust somewhere. God would just actually want it to be in something that works. Like that's the point of all of this. God actually wants to be God to you. 
That means he actually wants you to put your trust in something that's going to work. It's like watching your kids make a mistake in slow motion. And like all you really want to do is like grab hold of them and shake them around a little bit and set them on the right path. But you know, like I, I can force them to walk this thing, but I can't make them actually believe that this is going to work. And sometimes they have to figure out for themselves that this isn't going to go so well. It's a really frustrating experience. Yeah, everybody has faith in something. So here our Lord would say, I want you to have faith in the things that aren't going to hurt you. I want you to have faith in the things that aren't going to let you down. I want you to have faith in me. And from there, it gets a whole lot easier to start to see the gifts that God gives, not as gods, but as gifts. Um, because those things can come and go. But it's sort of like, it's sort of like measuring how good a father I am, but what kind of presents I buy my kid. If I buy my kid everything he ever wants, and that's all I'm known for to him, will my kid be spoiled and, or would my kid be a productive member of society? If all you want to do is measure how much I love my kid by what I buy my kid, that, that means if he doesn't have a new bike, I must not love him. There's more going on though. You know this, right? Like there's greater love than simply stuff. And in the same way, idolatry is to say, God, you're reduced to a vending machine for stuff. Stuff, you are the thing that's really going to save me. The love that God has for you is expressed in more than just daily bread. There, there are six other petitions that are wonderful to pray. And here we start to see then that the fullness of our God, that, that he can work through stuff and stuff is good, but there's also more. You with me? All right, we can do a little bit more. Let's do paragraph four. Oop, go this way, not that way. There we go. Therefore, it is the intent of this commandment to require true faith and trust of the heart which settles upon the only true God and clings to him alone. That is, as much to say, see to it that you let me alone be your God and never seek another. Whatever you lack of good thing, expect it of me and look to me for it. And whatever you suffer misfortune and distress, creep and cling to me. I, yes, I, will give you enough and help you out of every need. Let not your heart cleave to or rest in another. Again, God actually wants to be God to you. He actually wants to be the one who gives you good gifts. He actually wants you to have them, but that's why he wants you to look to himself. Because there's lots of things that will promise you the world, but Jesus can actually deliver you through death. You with me? Anybody got anything? Yeah, I was going to say that. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Um when he tells us not to have any other gods, it is a mercy to us because there are no other gods. And so anything we look to for that comfort and security, I guess, mm -hmm. um, is going to fail us ultimately. And, um, well, basically there really are no other gods to look to. Right. So like we say, like, there's no such thing as Zeus. Um, and we should all be pretty comfortable with that statement. Um, but Luther actually defines God as, as um, something other than just sort of a, a spiritual invisible power. He, he actually defines God the way the pagans do. Um, that what you trust in is your God. Um, and that's um, a, a good thing for us to recognize because I can say wholeheartedly, I don't worship Zeus. But I also have to acknowledge as I study this commandment, I have not fulfilled the first commandment. <laughs> um, there are no other gods, but there's a lot of other things we trust. The problem is um, money can't save you from death. 
the, the problem is um, that, that all of these things that we put our trust in, um, they are good gifts, but they're temporal gifts. And there's more going on than just the right now. It, it's, I mean, it, it's sort of like expecting one sandwich to keep you full for the rest of your life. There's more and you need more. So look to the source and not just the thing. Um, money will not save you from death. It, it will fade. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Uh, and so when Jesus talks about this way, um, and uh, it's our Ash Wednesday text, he says, put your hope in that which moth and rust cannot destroy, that which thieves cannot break and steal. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Um, this, is, uh, this is where Luther's getting it from. It, it's, it's a recognition that... Um, God to us, um, well, as sinners, it, it's always been an inanimate object. But the, the, the living God, the only true God, is the God who is the creator of all these things. This is that whole potter and clay analogy that you get in Romans 2. Um, not Romans chapter 2, Romans also. I think it's Romans 10, um, where it's, uh, who is the potter to say to the, the one who formed him? Why have you made me? I might be wrong on that chapter, but... If one of you guys know it, correct me because I'm bad at the Bible. Um, but uh, we, we recognize, though, that, that it's, it's always been our, our infatuation with stuff um, that, that is, has been our undoing um, from the fall to today. Does that kind of? Yeah, like we, we will treat other things as gods without realizing that, but they are not going to ultimately do for us what the only true and real God. Absolutely. Yeah, and that might be the kind of the, the much better approach for it. Because like if you ask an atheist what they believe in, they will tell you concrete things. Um, and simply to say that's not real, um, you've already lost them. Um, because honestly, an atheist can give you a hug at the end of a bad day, and that's a real comfort. It really is. Um, the question is, can this do for you everything that you needed to do? Um, and this is, where, this is where idolatry starts to let us down. Yeah, this is an apologetic. All right, good. Anybody else building on that? Something different? All right, I'm at paragraph five. This I must unfold somewhat more plainly, that it may be understood and perceived by ordinary examples of the contrary. Many a one thinks that he has God and everything in abundance when he has money and possessions. He trusts in them and boasts of them with such a firmness and assurance as to care for no one. Though such a man also has a God, Mammon by name, and money, possessions, on which he sets all his heart, and which is also the most common idol on earth. He who has money and possessions feels secure, is joyful and undismayed as though he were sitting in the midst of paradise. On the other hand, he who has none doubts and is despondent as though he knew of no God. For very few are to be found who are of good cheer and who neither mourn nor complain if they have not mammon. This care and desire for money sticks and clings to our nature, even to the grave. So this is uh, played into example, exactly what um, Terry and Brian were both talking about. Uh, Brian mentioned, like, it's really hard to be upbeat if you're broke and you have to try and figure out if you're going to buy milk or bread. Uh, Terry mentioned that, that um, we, we, there are no other gods. Um, but, but Luther would respond here, when we're talking about God, when we're talking about mammon, mammon is not actually a a deity. Mammon is simply just the embodiment of, of the fact that we're trying to build something in this world that's going to last. Um, this, this nature that, that we have um, is to worship stuff and call it God. 
and that's actually, um, we're going to get to it uh, in a little bit. Um, but something really, really insightful that, that Luther is going to, to point out, I'll give it to you now because we'll talk about it more next time. But my favorite um, thing to call my idols is always Jesus. Um, my favorite name for all of my idols is Jesus. And I'll say, Jesus, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus, whose job it is to get me. And then I go to the thing I actually care about. Like, I love Jesus because he gives me money. That's the prosperity gospel, right? You don't actually care about Jesus. You care about the money. I, I love Jesus because he made me healthy. Well, I know what your real God is now. See, I love Jesus who let me sit in dust and ashes, but also sat there with me, died for me, and rose from the dead. That's a different kind of Jesus. If Jesus is a means to an end for you, the end is your God, even if you name your God Jesus. Do you see where I'm going with this? We're going to spend some time on it next week, but it's, it's, it's utterly profound that um, we as, as Christians would, would love to say we're, free, we're completely free from idolatry when we've just sort of co-opted Jesus and made him a means to so many different ends that, that were never actually given in, in Scripture. Um, so it's something to, to, to contemplate as we go to this. Um, I'd like to stop here at paragraph 10. We're at a, a good place um, to, to kind of pick up uh, next time um, with just a gentle reminder of what we covered and then move on into something else. So that be all right for you? Does anybody have any questions or comments as we close down? All right. Uh, top by our Lord and trust in his promises, we're bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, in heaven. hallowed be thy, hallowed name. be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Here. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day this our daily bread, bread, and forgive us our trespasses, trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Have a good night. You too.